Please turn with me in your Bible <coughs> to read again the text from which we read on last week. In addition to our principal text, which is in the book of Judges, chapter 13, we read these words, which are in the Psalms. Verse 20, chapter 25 and verse 12. What man is he that feareth the Lord? He shall, him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And he will show them his covenant. And then one singular verse in the 51st Psalm and verse 17 the sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Stand with me now, if you will, please, and sing again <coughs> from hymn number 468. Standing, saying 468. <clears throat> A broken heart, my God, my King, is all the sacrifice I bring. The God of grace will never despise a broken heart of sacrifice. My soul is humbled in the dust and knows thy dreadful sentence just look out the Lord with pity and save the soul condemned to die then will I teach the world thy ways sinners shall learn thy sovereign grace I'll lead them to my Savior's blood and they shall praise upon God Oh, may thy heart 
Jewish fire might not. In addition to our text, principal text of study in Judges chapter 13, I have read to you again those words from Psalm 25 and verse 14, where we learn that the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And on last week, I pointed your heart to the fact that this is a Hebrew word that literally translates the intimacy of consolation. And that, I said to you, is exactly the word that I would fix in your mind as we contemplate together Mrs. Manoah. This was a woman, sure, who came to possess the intimacy of consolation from the Lord to her heart. This woman in her quiet, unpretentious, intimate, but faithful walk with God, this one came to find the secret of the Lord as she was alone in a field. Alone in a field. He came to her not just once, but twice. To bring her the news of his plans for Israel's deliverance and her instrumentality in it. I said to you, she was to be the deliverer of the deliverer. She was to bear a son who was barren. And the Lord came to her alone in a field and shared with her this sweet secret of consolation. I gave to you, and I hope to finish today, I may not. I gave to you last week the notion that I wanted to entertain Mrs. Manoah from this text of scripture in this view of her as being alone in a field. I gave you as the first consideration in my outline last week that she was alone in a field of labor. 
she was no doubt laboring there in a field. That was her purpose for being in a field. I said to you, she certainly was not there loitering. She was not there just frivolous, frivolously passing away her time. She was there, no doubt, laboring, no doubt, with her heart consumed as she labored, consumed with the plight of Israel, of her people, of her family, indeed of herself. And she labored there alone. Alone in a field of labor. I would ask you to pause again just momentarily and remind you those of our women, our ladies, the saints of this congregation to pause and arrest your heart here on this scene and consider Mrs. Manoa laboring alone in a field. Here is a woman in conspicuous to the world at large, <coughs> bringing no attention to herself or her labors, making no noise in her affairs, just laboring, just laboring. When God comes with his secret, laboring alone in a field, Oh, what labors, what labors. While her hands were engaged in her work, no doubt her heart was engaged in the struggle over her barrenness and over Israel's state of oppression. Oh, I said to you last week, and I would say it again to your heart today, how many deliverers have been sent to God's Israel by the intercessory labors of a woman in a field alone? Only God knows. Only God knows, but I can assure you, He knows. Laboring in a field, her labors tirelessly alone. But then I gave you as a second point in my outline, as a second consideration for your heart, that she was also alone in a field of loss. <laughs> oh, we read from verse 4. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, Drink not wine nor strong drink, eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. From within the womb. Verse 4, verse 7, verse 14, all tell us over and over again, what it is that she is to be at a great loss. 
I said to you all last week, these are the foods that would have given her sustenance to labor. These are the things of which every Israelite may partake daily and freely. But she is to continue laboring without them. Oh, what a great loss. And I said to you that she's in this field of loss alone. Because you see, God did not come and speak and say that he wanted all the Jewish maidens in the land at that time to take up these restrictions. And then he would send and deliver. He did not require this of all Israel. He did not even require it of all the Jewish maidens. He did not even require it of the priests. Can I just tell you, he did not even require it of Manoah. He came to his wife and said, I will have this from you. Oh, can I tell you, it was a great loss, but she must bear it alone. Alone. Oh, alone in a field of loss. Oh, what grace. And may I say it to you again? I hope you take it to your heart. I'm in no hurry this morning. What great losses God may ask of you to bear alone to see him begin a deliverance in your kingdom. Luke referred to it in his prayer and I mention it to you again twice in this text. Verse 4 and verse 13 he used the word beware! It's a great solemn warning. This is a great word in the Hebrew of sorrow warning and oh how it must have Stricken the delicate soul of this fair maiden with terror. Beware! I beg you. But she must bear this field of loss alone. Alone. Oh, what a field is this! <laughs> Let me admonish our ladies again this morning. Whatever God has asked you to give. Whatever God has asked you to give. Give it. Give it. Whatever it is God would require of you to save your son. Whatever God would require of you to save your husband. Whatever God would require of you to see a deliverance begun, give it, even if you must give alone and no one to help you. Oh, what a vast field is this field. This field. 
This woman walked with God. This woman who would be an instrument to bring deliverance to God's people was required to give a great loss. Oh, if you would better understand the cost to blessed Mrs. Manoah, listen to the wording of this vow in Numbers chapter 6. Verse 3, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grape, for eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that's made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. All the days of the vow of his separation. There shall no razor come on his head until the days be fulfilled. In the which he separated himself unto the Lord. And how long were those days? Verse 6. Verse 4 begins all days. Verse 5 all days. Verse 6 all days. How many days were these all days for Mrs. Manoah? She wasn't even yet expecting All the days of her pregnancy. What a great cost. Oh, blessed, blessed Bishop Hall was quoted by Bush in his commentary. Hall said this, the mother must conceive, this mother must conceive the only giant of Israel. And yet, must drink nothing but water. Neither must the child touch any other cup. Oh, then burst out Bishop Hall with this. No doubt, heartfelt emotion. And he says, never wine made so strong a champion as water did here. <laughs> he that gave that power to the great can give the same power to the stream. Oh God, how justly do we raise our eyes from our tables unto thee, which canst make water to nourish and wine to enfeeble. <laughs> Nothing but water, Mrs. Manoah. What a great loss. And she must bear it alone. This son, this deliverer, is to be a Nazarite, and this mother must begin it. May I just take a moment's diversion? as did the blessed Rogers in his commentary, and say a word to you about the elements of this vow in order to illustrate to your heart the great cost to this mother. Rogers says, as to the prohibition on wine, he says the significant uh, signification 
thereof was to teach God's people that they should avoid all excesses that way, lest thereby they should dull and blunt the powers of their minds, and so they must of necessity use them to shameful ends. He said this particularly be said of the rule of the Nazarites and the caveats thereof. More generally, this I add to the point, that by these prohibitions and such like, the Lord would teach us in how high account he hath in heart well mortified and purged from the dross and superfluity of lusts with which it is stuffed. Roger said, God, by these denials, would teach us that he would have us to have our hearts well mortified because of nature they are well stuck with lust. He said, the Lord said, Son, give me thy heart. And when he saith this, he meaneth not a rotten heart and corrupt, for he has no need of that, but a heart well searched and well drained from sinful affections. Such an heart he calls for and chooses. <coughs> and then, as to the hair, Roger says this, the signification of it was that much time should not be taken up in too nicely trimming and looking to our bodies. Seeing we know they must be consumed to the earth and become worms meat. And therefore a ridiculous folly to forget that and to please ourselves in such deceivable fancies. And also, when the mind is set curiously on that work, that is the work of adorning ourselves, it is a dangerous token of pride. It be right that it slenderly regards the inward apparel. But as these, this niceness and curiosity in the weaker sex. This niceness and curiosity of bodily apparel in the weaker sex who spend too many good hours vainly and unfruitfully in this kind of affair argues pride and folly. So there is a soul abuse in men about this matter. And that is their disguised wearing of long hair. <laughs> and yet many of them let as much, said as much by their hair as if they had put religion therein. And were as loath to have shears or razor to come upon it. Says Rogers, oh, the vanity 
and wasted hours by men and women on this foolishness. Finally, in summation, Rogers says this, the signification of the Nazarite was this, that the Lord would have all that come near unto him and will be in his service to be separated from the common sort which do not examine their ways after the rules of the word of God. But walk after the whole, their heart's own fancy. And hereby, under a ceremony, he, re he requireth that of his, which in plain words he does elsewhere, saying, Ye shall therefore be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Also, he says, purify yourselves even as I am pure. Be merciful even as your heavenly Father is merciful. Be ye holy for I am holy. And insomuch that in another place he says, without holiness no man shall see the Lord. And the signification of the Nazarite doth exclude all that are unclean and unsanctified from the Lord's presence and service. Can I just say it to you again? Mrs. Manoah must set this young lad on a course of sacrifice and she must do it alone. By her sacrifices herself. Oh, would I just give you a simple lesson this morning? Doing good deeds, somebody said. Doing good deeds is the easier part of Christianity. But real Christianity will pursue holiness by self-denial. Nowhere is this more critical than in the mothers of Israel who would bring the deliverer. Poor Mrs. Manoah. What great losses. What great losses she must bear. Hello. But now I must move forward somewhat. I want to suggest to your mind, thirdly, that this precious lady stands alone in a field of logic. <laughs> stands alone in a field of labor. She stands alone in a field of loss. She stands alone in a field of logic. Look at verse 22 and 23. Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die because we've seen God. <laughs> but his wife said unto him, If the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering in our hands. Neither would he have showed us all these things. 
nor would as at this time have told us such things as these. Well, can I just tell you Mrs. Manoa stands quite alone in a field of logic. Suddenly, in the midst of this overwhelming revelation from the angel of the Lord, dear brother Manoah is smitten in a panic. Surely, he says, we're going to die now. <laughs> we're going to die now. But no, says Mrs. Manoah. In her feminine logic, she reckons what God began in grace, he's not going to conclude in judgment. One commentator has said, this woman showed herself not only the strongest believer, but the wisest reasoner. Here was the simplicity and the soundness of her logic. Here it is. Can I give it to you? The simplicity and the soundness of her logic. Number one, if we were meant to die, why would he receive our burnt offerings? Number two, if we were going to die now, why would we have received his revelation? And number three, if we were meant to die now, why would he time our deaths with his revelation? <laughs> that seems most inappropriate to her. Oh, could I just say this morning, how reasonable all that sounds. Indeed, but of these two holy souls, only she has reasoned it out. And she has done it quite alone for at least a moment. <laughs> hey, hey, praise be to God. Oh, my good brethren this morning, I hope you learn, and those of our younger folk, younger men, I hope you learn early the value, the eternal value, the inestimable value of the reasoning and logic of a holy woman. <laughs> oh, yes. Dear brother Joseph, read Luke chapter 1 verse 28 and following. Dear brother Joseph, listen to the reasoning of Mary's testimony. And the result will be a deliverer, the Christ. <laughs> oh, hallelujah for the logic of a godly woman. How much grief and sorrow might I have been spared if 
If only I had listened to the sane logic of a godly woman. One commentator has wisely said this. Manoah's wife encourages her husband. <laughs> Notice she didn't beat him down. She didn't say, you're an idiot. You fool, what's wrong with you? She encouraged her husband, says this commentator. Listen now. Though men may be brave before physical danger, women sometimes show more courage in spiritual difficulties. This moral courage is nobler than the brute courage which man shares with lower animals. This moral courage has its source in true excellencies of character. How is it that she had such moral courage when he was faltering? Well, this writer says it's because of the excellencies of character. What were they? Number one, self-possession. Women. Virtuous women, godly women, have this excellency in their character, self-possession. Says this commentator, Manoah is confused and dismayed by terror beyond the power of reflection. He has become so frightened, he's not thinking straight. But his wife is calm and collected. And thus able to see indications of the mercy of God in all this. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Self-possession. But then another trait is the trait of reflection. Reflection. Says this commentator. She's reflecting on the character of this vision. God has given to us powers of observation and discernment and reasoning. Superstitious terrors more commonly haunt the minds of those people who have neglected to use those powers while weakly yielding to foolish emotions. Religion, says this writer, to be healthy must be thoughtful. And none could be more thoughtful than a strong, self-possessed, holy woman. <laughs> amen. wonder if any of you men could stand with me and say amen to that. Religion to be healthy must be thoughtful. And none could be more thoughtful than a strong, self-possessed, holy woman. Oh. How many times have our wives come to us after spending a day alone in the fields of labor? After spending a day alone in a field of loss, have come to us and said, 
I've been thinking about something. Hmm. She's quite alone in a field of logic. Someone else has insightfully described this scene in these words. The crisis was grave. Relief being, at least humanly speaking, impossible for Israel. The family chosen for the experiment was an ordinary one of no social standing. The mother of the promised child was barren. The sustenance enjoyed and laid upon her, the sustenance of requirements were of the most meager description, not likely to produce any strength or stimulus. And yet, in the midst of all of this, she sees the hand of God distinctly. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. She sees the hand of God in it all. And dear old brother Manoah, all he can do is panic. We're going to die. But she's standing alone in a field of logic. Godly logic. Oh, bless the Lord for godly women of logic. She's been standing alone in the field. But now, finally, could I just suggest one last field in which Mrs. Manoa walks? Dare I say alone? I will. I call it alone also in this field, not because it is expressly stated in the text as were our other points, but because experience has taught me and taught us down through the ages as a long ago proven reality that women in this field are rare and few to be found. And so I say she stands alone in a field of loving loyalty. She stands alone in a field of loving loyalty. Look at verse 6. Then the woman came and told her husband. Saying a man of God came unto me. And his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Very terrible. But I asked him not whence he was. Neither told he me his name. Verse 9. God hearkened unto the voice of Noah. And the angel of God came again unto the woman as she sat in the field but Manoah her husband was not with her verse 10 and the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband 
I'm telling you, she's standing in a field of loving loyalty. This maiden has had a divine visitation from none less than the angel of the Lord. He made her privy to his plans for her, which encompassed the welfare of the entire nation of it. His was a private, personal visitation. From this man, this one, this angel, whom when she sought to describe him to her husband, she could only call him in verse 6, very terrible. This was a visitation the likes of which not even the priests of God had experienced in 40 years. This was a sovereign, glorious, incomprehensible visitation. And what does dear Lady Manoah do with it? Such was the depth of her loyalty and love to her husband. Such was the bond. Such was the intimacy. Such was the unity of that loyalty and love that she has only one thought. I need to get to my husband as quickly as possible. Get to my husband. Get to my husband. Get to my husband. Oh, what a soul bond is portrayed here. <laughs> what a singleness of mind and purpose. Nothing, nothing distracts her or diverts her from this. My husband. I wonder today, when God visits a woman, where does she go first? I'm sorry to say many, probably the first thing they're going to do is whip out their phone and go to Facebook. Tell it to the world. Not this one. She goes, verse 10, she made haste to get to her husband. Oh, what a loyalty. What a love. What a bond. I must get to my husband. Bush wisely said this. What is the fellowship of a husband and wife if it extends not to mutual communications of each other's experience with Christ. Can I say that again? I hope you get it. What is the fellowship of a husband and wife if it extends not to the mutual communications of each other's experience of Christ? Hallelujah. Oh, how many times 
Men, when's the last time you came home to a wife bathed in the radiance of heaven itself? She has some word from God. She's gotten while in the field alone. Oh, have you ever come in and she's standing at the counter trying to do a job, trying to get you supper, trying to wash dishes, trying to do something, and the tears are running down her face? She can't wait to tell you. Oh, God spoke to me today. Oh, sisters, this morning, my dear sisters, when's the last time you made haste? When's the last time you made haste to get to your blessed husband with some golden nugget fresh off the altar of God that you got while you were in a field alone? When's the last time you couldn't wait to run him down? You couldn't wait for him to get home. You couldn't wait to pause life so that you can speak to him and say, Hey, hey, I gotta tell you something God met with me today. God met with me today. Be honest. When's the last time that happened? How often does it happen? Oh, listen to the wise counsel of one great scholar this morning who said this. He said, but one lesson stands out above the others and runs through the whole chapter. And that is that of conjugal relation of man and wife, which is set forth with inimitable simplicity and force and which we shall do well to study for a few minutes as one that bears a singular influence on the happiness and well-being of all mankind. So he pauses a minute and he does that and he says, it is obvious to notice in the first place that Manoah was the husband of one wife. I didn't write that. It's obvious to notice in the first place that Manoah was the husband of one wife according to the institution of marriage in paradise. Such mutual confidence and help as we here see could not have been found in Gideon's harem or in the households of Ibzan and Abdon. Couldn't happen there. Don't happen in this home. Because there's only one wife. He says the real conjugal union of interest and the oneness of aim and the transparent openness of intercourse springing from having Nothing to conceal can have no existence where multiple marriages exist. Hmm. 
Nor is it in the nature of things that a woman's entire love and trust should be given to a man who has only a fraction his affection. Hmm. If Christianity had done nothing else for mankind than restore the primitive law of marriage and guard it with the highest sanctions of religion, it would have conferred upon our race an inestimable blessing. The holiness and happiness, the peace and union of countless homes is due to the marriage law of the gospel of Christ. But then this law must be kept in spirit as well as in letter. The conduct of Manoah's wife after her first interview with the angel is a beautiful exemplification of this spirit in the wife. Then the woman came and told her husband. <laughs> Many things might have moved her to secrecy. The fear of exciting her husband's suspicion the risk of being disbelieved, the possibility that the stranger had deceived her with false hopes, or on the other hand, the feeling of pride and self-sufficiency at the marvelous apparition and revelation made to herself and not to her husband. A spirit of independence engendered by such a distinction. Such feelings as these, had they existed or had they ruled her conduct, might have led her to conceal this mysterious interview. But the wife's instinct led her straight to the mark. She came and told her husband. He was her husband, her natural, legitimate, only counselor and advisor. His was the ear into which to pour this strange confidence. What she knew, he ought to know. And her conduct must be guided by his counsels. So she came at once and told her husband. Oh, I fear this dear woman is quite alone in our day. In a field of loving loyalty. This minister went on to say a bit more. He said if the wife is to obey her husband. No other man can of right. Expect a higher obedience. If she is to trust her husband. She may not keep a secret. From what others reveal to her. She may not receive counsel from others which is hid from him. The function of a counselor and spiritual director is incomparable, uh, sorry, incompatible with the Christian law of marriage. If you're seeking marriage advice or advice in your life, in your home, in anything, if you're seeking it among counselors or somewhere outside the marriage bond, you're you're seeking it in the wrong place. Not so. The function of a confessor, we call them therapists or counselors. 
is incompatible with the Christian law of marriage as it is with the first commandment with promise when it stands between children and parents. Nor is Manoah's trust in his wife less conspicuous than her trust in him. Isn't that a beautiful thing in this picture? His trust in her is just as strong as her trust in him. We'll probably say more of that about that in future messages. We're focusing on Mrs. Manoah in these messages. Not a shadow of doubt as to the truth of her statement crossed his mind. Not a shade of jealousy that the message came to her rather than to him. Oh, verse 11 tells us Manoah arose and went. Somebody said if a wife will lead in some manner of holiness, let not her husband disdain her leadership. If she will lead in holiness, let the husband honor that leadership. In the desire for further information, his wisdom suggested prayer that the Lord will send again the man of God. But the language of his prayer was beautifully expressive of the union that was betwixt the two of them. Listen to what he prayed. Let the man of God come again unto us and teach us what we shall do to the child. <laughs> oh, there's such a bond here. Such a bond here. When the second time the angel appeared to the woman alone, he took it as the answer to his prayer. As she came quickly to him, so he quickly followed her. With manly courage, he asked the questions which her feminine modesty had not dared to put and appeared at once in his proper place, ordering and directing what was to be done with regard to the rights of hospitality and piety. And yet when his own fears were excited by having seen the angel of God, he sought counsel from her. Do you get it? Are you seeing it this morning? Do you see the back and forth here? He readily acquiesced in her pious trust in the mercy and loving kindness of the Lord. And exactly the same perfect union between them appears many years later afterwards when Samson was grown in chapter 14, verse 2 through 5, so that the whole passage is a beautiful idol of con uh, conjugal love and concord. They both fulfilled their proper parts with the utmost simplicity and propriety. They both contribute to the common stock of wedded happiness which each had to contribute. Neither of them had one word of reproach or bitterness to each other. Neither of them attempted to usurp the other's place or shrunk from occupying their own. And they have left for our study and imitation as beautiful an example of mutual help and harmony of married life as can be found in the whole range of scripture. May it find its counterpart in every Christian family in this church. She's alone. 
in this field of loving loyalty. No secrets between them. Nothing kept back. Everything shared. Mutual spiritual help. Oh men, pray. Pray. Pray, men, pray that God will give us holy wives who will walk alone in the fields of labor. Wives that will walk alone in the fields of loss. Wives that will walk alone in the fields of logic, godly logic, and walk alone, and yes, near us in the fields of loving loyalty. Mrs. Manoa, <laughs> alone in a field. Turn with me, if you will, please, in your hymn book. Stand with me, please. Turn with me to number 690. Sing together 690.